Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 67, our most rewatchable movies of all time. Movies that may not necessarily be our favorites or even necessarily the best, but the movies that we get the most enjoyment out of or find ourselves watching on repeat the most. Because let's just say we have some awesome, just fantastic news that relates to one of these rewatchable movies. But, uh... First of all, Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, man. I uh, it's <laughs> it's been a crazy week. I'm kind of still getting getting recouped. I recently just finished up my two weeks of what was my job, um, and on to a new chapter where that I'm working on right now. That's uh, not necessarily financially the best idea, I guess, but it, it's it's one of those like I'm I'm at that age I need to do this or I'm not going to be able to do it ever again. Makes sense. Well, best of luck to you, good sir. So long as we still have you here, that's all obviously. that matters. Selfishly, oh, obviously. And we'll, we'll, we won't. We'll be. Uh, severe lack of scheduling issues <laughs> because of this. So there's that. <laughs> um, be- before we get started, I actually had a question for you, man. I was, uh, you know, as Josh does uh, from time to time, reading articles and stuff like that. And someone posed the question. I disagreed with it, but someone posed the cre- the question, is Morbius going to learn the wrong lessons from the Venom movies. It's basically saying, you know, like, hey, like it was the Venom brought, you know, the the superhero universe kind of into a darker scheme and like was willing to go to certain extents as far as violence, but like cut off the violence on it to a certain point. Do you think Morbius is going to do the same thing where, yeah, you kind of can't do Morbius without um, that darker skin, that that darker theme? But do you think they're going to go as far as they need to go? Um, I think Venom showed that they don't need to go. Uh, Venom, I know you don't like it, but it did very financially well for itself being PG-13. So yeah. I think they're going to stick within this PG-13 realm. Um if if Venom was originally R and it did well, then I'd say yes. But I think the president was already set with Venom to be PG-13, and that's the zone they're going to stick with. Plus, um, I think Spider-Man is the biggest factor in this. Of If you had R-rated Venom and Morbius, and you try and bring in a distinctly PG-13 Spider-Man, Spider-Man is what's going to bring your audience in. It's what more or less tricked your audience into seeing Venom because they thought they were going to be connected. If you have R-rated movie, R-rated movie, PG-13 character that's suckering them in, you're going to have a lot of pissed off parents that are just like, well, my kid wants to see these Spider-Man movies that you said are connected. He wants to see Venom fight Spider-Man. Well, now you made Venom and Morbius R. So I don't, I see them all as PG-13 as a form of cohesion and for that Spider-Man factor that's still kind of a what if right now. But, um, I see them staying PG-13 because that's the best way to maximize revenue. Of Yes, R may be the best avenue sometimes um, for certain movies, but at the end of the day, if you want to make money, as tough as it is to say, you want might want to stick to PG-13 because then it could reach the widest demographic. Okay. 
Yeah, that's what that's kind of what I was thinking as well. Um, I, I, the last thing I kind of wanted for them was to feel that if they didn't go to what's it called, um, if they didn't go to Deadpool levels of violence, that the movie wasn't going to work. Because I, I, I've always been, you know, you don't have to make a movie R; you can make it work. Um, exactly. But anyway, yeah, let's get into the swing of things. Sorry, I just well, had that thought and I wanted to to discuss it with you there for a little bit. That's all right. Uh, and also, before we get into news, I wanted to bring something up as well. Um, so over the weekend, it, I know it's been a few days since the weekend, but I don't care. Um, over the weekend, I got the chance to see one of the movies that I've been longing to see for weeks and weeks that everyone has been raving about. And so I wanted to give my general thoughts on arguably what will be the best movie of the year, hands down, 1917. Um, oh, yeah. So I saw this this past weekend, and I walked out of the theater, and I was really, like, trying to keep my emotions in check because when you're in the theater, everything seems better. Um, but my gut reaction walking out of the theater was, it might not have been the number one of all time, but this has to be up there in some of the one of the greatest films I've ever seen from a technical standpoint. Of I'm not normally a big war um, movie fan, but this one really got to me. The cinematography unmatched like next level stuff of even me as a camera person just scratching my head going how did they do this i'm like looking throughout the movie it's just like what could be the where the cut is where's the cut and sometimes i just couldn't tell um and i think that adds the tension because it feels that much more real just going holy crap this is all practical uh there's a shot you see in the trailer of a plane crashing that's all in one long take and just going, how did they accomplish this? Or um, you see a soldier die slowly by a stab wound and it's all a single shot. But somehow in that long single take, and I don't, I still to this day do not know how they did it. The color and the color in his face actually drains from tan to pasty white as he's losing wow. blood and dying all in the same shot and just like how did you do this yeah that's crazy i still need to see it i've got two gift card movie gift cards so i need to put them to use here soon um hopefully i'll be able to do that in knives out before the before it leaves the the theater yeah i say see it as soon as possible the cinematography there's another shot uh, like they establish it's a wide shot of these characters have to cross this ditch that's with water um with barbed wire and it's a wide shot, but then they get a tight shot and they go through the barbed wire and I'm just going, wait, where's the cameraman? Is he like in the middle of the barbed wire? Cause we established that there's a wall of barbed wire here and they go around this gigantic, maybe 300 foot long puddle of water. That's really, really deep. So I'm watching it as they going around the water and the camera is clearly in the water itself, but I'm looking down at the water. There's not a single ripple in the water. Like there's no sign of movement in the water. I'm just going, how did they do this? Um, but take the cinematography away, and I think you still have an incredibly strong movie. Like, the performances are excellent. Um, I have not white-knuckled a finale as hard as I have for 1917 in a long time. Of, like, edge of my seat of just, like, go, 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 go. Stressed out, stressed out. Just, you are so close. you just got to make it just a little bit farther. Of, basically... Think of a super stressful situation. It's nowhere near this, but kind of think of you're playing capture the flag, except 
you start on the enemy side. They don't know you're there, and there's no one on your team. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so stressful. Um, but at the end, it's one of the most gratifying, just breathe a huge sigh of relief, and emotion just pours over you. It was incredibly powerful. The music that accompanies the big epic finale was just Thomas Newman, which at this point, Thomas Newman is just one of the best composers out there. Again, knocked out of the park. Uh, the same guy that did Shawshank. The music is phenomenal. The acting is phenomenal. The camera work, unparalleled. Like, if, if it doesn't win Best Picture, which it it's my front runner right now to win Best Picture. If it doesn't win Best Picture, it's guaranteed to win Best Cinematography because it's on a whole other level. Like, it's been a while since I've been moved this much by a movie. That being said... I'm seeing Jojo Rabbit on Friday, and I have very high expectations for that as well. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens, man. <laughs> but as excited and as happy as I am about 1917, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little happier, more excited about our first news topic because it gives me full reign and license to use my best Nicolas Cage voice as I rejoice <laughs> at the glorious I, news that has been dude. brought to our attention this week. Oh, man. So I still, I still don't think... I can't believe this is happening. I really can't believe it's happening. So, before we hold you into suspense any longer, it has been made official. We are getting a National Treasure 3. Now, let me hold the mic away from my face because I'm going to peak the audio levels here. <laughs> yes! Oh, lordy. Oh, so I was at work when I saw this on Twitter, and I just let out an ungodly squeal that actually made my coworker jump and scared him. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I would apologize, but you need to know this because he's also a movie fan, and he's just like, what could be that special? I'm just like, we're getting a National Treasure 3. He's just like, okay. Like, okay, our friendship is done now. Um, <laughs> okay. In all seriousness, though, I have not been so excited for a movie announcement in so long because National Treasure is one of those franchises that people don't like the second one nearly as much, but that first one is almost like a cult classic, but did well at the box office. Like, I have yet to talk to anybody that doesn't love the first one. Like, so there's something special about that first National Treasure. I think it hit at just the right time for a lot of kids and a lot of adults, too. We'll talk about it later for our most rewatchable. It's the whole inspiration for our discussion this week. Um, a lot of people have National Treasure in a very special place in their hearts, myself included. It's nice to know at least one of my favorite adventure franchises is moving forward with this movie. Um, <laughs> it's it's genuinely one of the most entertaining movies uh, it, to me. It, it, uh, like, and it's one of Nicolas Cage's best, honestly. It, it, <laughs> Which I hear all you say, you saying, "Oh, it doesn't take much," but I'm here to tell you, Nicolas Cage is a saint of an actor, and he deserves more credit. But that's not the point. National it's not Treasure a perfect is, movie, but it's as no. close to perfect as an action movie can get, I think. Yes. And I mean, I don't know why people don't like the second one as much. It, it's it's more of the same, but it's, it's just as entertaining. I think I for mean, me, the second one isn't as good because it's less believable. 
of the first one has a lot of that like early American history of they're all tied together and it's just like that you don't believe it but it's kind of got that hint of well we'll never have a way to disprove this whereas the second yeah. one kind of is a little too loose of kind of jumps around a little bit too much yeah I but, agree and and that's that's the kind of the when I told somebody at work that this was happening it was their first reaction was okay cool so what are they going after this time what what treasure are they going to make up that <laughs> they need to go after? Whatever's on page 47 of the Book of Secrets. No, wait, no. Okay, well, maybe. Yeah, that might work. He's going he's gonna to go to Area 51 and free the aliens. <laughs> he's going to get go to find that page, go to the... Uh, it leads to a chamber of secrets... <laughs> I kind of, if we're not going to get with Indiana Jones, fingers crossed, he goes on the hunt for Atlantis. That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. And then runs into Milo. And then that's Dude, how we don't, get a- don't you do that to me. Don't you? <laughs> and that's, that's how he, that's how they, they Milo start. Though that Atlantis is set in like World War II. That's okay. Oh, what's your point? <laughs> what point is, do you age, have here? Uh, but uh, the thing with National Treasure 3 is why we're all so excited is this movie has been dead, buried, and six feet under for years because oh, yeah. Book of Secrets was a long time ago. And it seemed like from Nicolas Cage, from the director, from everybody else, that we weren't getting another one. Like, they all seemed pretty content with staying as is. And just now we don't seem that interested in doing another one. Nicolas Cage has been busy doing... 90% of the other movies that have come out in the world. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer hasn't really been doing a whole lot of stuff. Uh, so this was a huge surprise. Not only that, it's being written. So far, the only people attached to it is Jerry Bruckheimer returning to produce and the writer of Bad Boys for Life, which apparently has been a sleeper hit, made like $73 million opening weekend and is getting Jeez, really dude. good critical reception to which... I'm really mad at them right now because they should have bet on themselves because now we're getting a Bad Boys 4. That one should be called Bad Boys for Life. Oh, get out of here. No, seriously. Why is the third one called Bad Boys for Life? And now we're getting a fourth yeah, one. No, what is that one going to be called? Fast Five? You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not wrong. But if we're getting a writer that delivered a really good action movie, yes, please bring him back. Um, maybe get Sean Levy who did Night at the Museum. Maybe bring him back. Um, maybe. Or, since he's not doing an Uncharted movie anymore, maybe get Travis Knight. Ooh. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Just get... I'm just beyond ecstatic of... This was a franchise that I thought we were done with forever. Uh, it's always on the top of the list of just like unresolved trilogies or like movies that we'll, get, that we'll never get sequels for. But it's, I'm excited, but also, don't dampen my spirits, Cage. You need to come back for this. And I think he will. Um, I mean, I don't, it wouldn't be National Treasure without him. Yeah, that's true. However, as much as it wouldn't be National Treasure without Cage, it's not National Treasure without Riley. We need Riley back. I mean, if they, I feel like they almost have to do it like, hey, we're getting, we're getting the We're band getting back, the together. back together. It's just like you, you really have to. Almost. 
basically. Oh, happy day. This is just... Nothing could dampen my spirits after seeing that announcement when that came out. Just like... It was like... Josh, did you ever see the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt? Uh, no, I didn't. Ah, there's a scene of him where he, like, sarcastically, like, Vince McMahon struts down a hallway, and I'm just like, that. that's how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> yes. I was just do the Vince McMahon strut when it when it's announced that National Treasure 3 is coming. And now we can bring back the cage and unleash his madness upon the world. <laughs> Gosh, I love I love Nicolas Cage so much. This time, I'm going to steal the Washington Monument. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> but the cage, it's it's super tall. That's why it's a challenge. We'll have to do it over the cover of Midnight. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're going to get Chris Angel involved, and he's going to help us make him disappear. <laughs> That would be fantastic. Bring back the president. We'll we'll kidnap him again. <laughs> Make it do- and bring Donald in. I mean, why not? What could go wrong? <laughs> oh boy, we're gonna oh, kidnap man. Donald Trump's wig. <laughs> it's not a wig. What are you talking about? <laughs> now, do I for this next topic? Can I get points for being like? Can I get half points for this? Because I was kind of right. J.J. Um, Abrams. Now, he's been coming under fire for Rise of Skywalker lately, but I'm not going to blame him for that. I'm going to blame Studio Interference. But again, Rise of Skywalker is a good movie. Fight me. Um, he has now been attached to his first DC project, um, which is, but also is not that surprising to me. Um, so I predicted that he would be announced to be directing a Superman movie. Well, it's not a Superman movie yet. Um, it is multiple projects involving the Justice League Dark. So we're getting, apparently from the reports, a, a movies and TV revolving around the Justice League Dark. So who are the Justice League Dark? Basically, it is the supernatural members of the DC Universe coming together to more or less take care of the mystical, magical threats of the world. So you've got like John Constantine, John Constantine, um, Zatanna, one of, I think, the most criminally underrated DC characters of Dead Man, uh, Boston Brand. He's fantastic. Um, Swamp Thing, Edrigan, all these like really weird and bizarre characters that take care of the dark, magical elements of the DC universe. Um, I'll tell you why I am surprised, but also at the same time, when I thought about it for more than five seconds, it also didn't surprise me for a second. Yeah. Um, so I was first surprised because, like I said, I really thought he was going to be doing Superman. But this to me kind of proves that they really, 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 without a shadow of a doubt, have absolutely no plans for Superman at all and have no idea what to do with him, which makes me super sad. Yeah, which is super weird. Uh, It makes me really, really sad. Um, I thought for sure he was going to be announced to a higher name profile project because... Yes, us sweaties know who the Justice League Dark is, but the common public does not know who the Justice League Dark is. Uh, So I thought he'd be attached to like a Superman or a Green Lantern. But then when I really thought about it, this is absolutely what DC was going to put him on. And here's why. So this movie has been in development hell forever. 
like oh, say yeah. it Smallville style, small uh, Sandlot style, forever. Like this movie has been in production longer than the Dwayne the Rock Johnson Black Adam movie. I think this movie was actually announced before Justice League. Justice League. This is yeah. how long it's been in development. This movie is originally supposed to be directed and produced uh, by Guillermo del Toro, which is like right up his alley of like weird mystical monsters and everything. Um, and then eventually del Toro dropped out cause they didn't make enough progress on it. And also that dude is like the busiest guy in Hollywood. Uh, and then it eventually went to Doug Lyman who was attached to it for a while. And we never really heard much. It was the project that it was quote unquote in development, but we never heard any progress on. Um, so clearly DC sees something in this project, maybe like an R rated version of the guardians of the galaxy type of thing. Ever since Guardians came out, everyone's hoping for the next Guardian of that obscure team that they can capitalize on. Um, yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit here, but they may be onto something with the Justice League Dark. Um, but clearly DC thinks they've been onto something because they've been tinkering and trying to get this thing figured out for close to a decade, it feels like. But also, the more I thought about it, as much as I would love and absolutely love JJ to do a Superman movie, think about almost every single major film that J.J. has done, and none of them are single stories. They are all ensemble cast stories. So as much as I would like a single story for Superman, a team-up movie that's not Justice League because they're not ready for a Justice League movie yet makes sense. Think about it. He revamped Star Trek ensemble with the Star Trek crew. He revamped Star Wars, which you can argue is about about Rey, but it's a, a Star Wars movie. It's an ensemble cast. Even the movies that aren't really based on a pre-existing IP with Super 8, that's an ensemble cast movie. So it makes sense why you have a team-up movie for him to work on, but not Justice League because they're still trying to figure out what they're doing with Justice League. So, hey, we'll give you a team-up, but just not the Justice League, Justice League. Um, Which is fine. I mean, they have to, they got to kind of do some rebuilding and then they've got Batman coming out here soon. And I just, I, I think... With the rise of Skywalker, you know the current the well, rise of Skywalker, but the um, current popularity of ho- horror films, a darker DC universe would be pretty smart, honestly. Uh, and I'm not gonna lie, I'm kind of curious what you think about this, Josh. If we're not getting a Justice League movie, we have rumors of the Justice Society showing up in the Black Adam movie. Um, mm-hmm. I actually think Justice League Dark may be a good replacement for the time being of like a asset that DC could use that they may not have thought about that they could tap into that could be really, really successful for them. Of Justice League Dark is just weird enough that it could work if done properly. Yeah. Well, and the characters are are actually pretty entertaining and for the most part, at least on some level, well-known. I mean, I don't know about Dead Man and uh, and maybe Etrigan. Etrigan might be pushing it, even though... Etrigan's definitely pushing it. That's a... He's a... I like Etrigan, but he's like a D-level character. And even that Constantine, people know the Keanu version, which is not accurate to the character. But speaking of Keanu... Constantine is probably the one character I'm the most excited about for them bringing back. Yeah, that could be cool. I'm more excited for Zatanna. I've always liked Zatanna. I thought she she's yeah. a really cool character. 
that just there's a lot potential. of there's a lot of characters that could be potentially really really interesting and they have a different feel i think that's going to be the big thing right now is to get away from the oh dc's just trying to be marvel cinematically is the characters in justice league dark are so drastically different from what marvel is bringing to the table that they can separate themselves before they put it put up their main their big hitters well you bring up marvel which i hadn't initially thought about this but the more i think about it they're Marvel may be of some use to DC here. Um, so all the sites are, are not saying that JJ is directing. He and his company, Bad Robot, are just developing movies and TV for Justice League Dark. In a perfect world, I could see him either directing it, but better yet, he could produce it and leave the director's slot open for a newly available Scott Derrickson. Ooh. Who, as we know, just exited Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness over creative <laughs> differences with Marvel. Probably not enough horror in the movie. So if you bring a horror director and a comic book director and bring him over to your dark superhero team, you might give him enough freedom to make it work. I mean, I don't see why not. I mean... <laughs> the 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 dark franchise should be borderline horror Superman uh, superhero film anyway. Swamp Thing in and of itself is a horror monster. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely, and he's fantastic. The show apparently is actually pretty pretty decent. Yeah, if only it didn't go massively over budget, we could have got another season. Probably, yeah. Um, now this. For some reason, isn't lighting up the headlines as much as I thought. Unlike our next story, because I think people are reading way too much into it, but I think there's still some interesting substance there. Um, so we recently wrapped up earlier this week the CW's annual crossover special. Uh, this year it was Crisis on Infinite Earths. I'll be the first to say it sucked because <laughs> a lot of the CW stuff is not very good. Um, I watched Ooh. it because Crisis on Infinite Earths is like one of the biggest events in DC Comics history. Um, and also, I watched the first three episodes and I was a little behind on two episodes, but the big moment of the entire special was ruined for me, but not that I really care that it was ruined because it was my own fault that I was late to the thing. Um, I think there is definitely some big ramifications here. Of In it, the whole entire multiverse gets wiped out and they're looking for solutions of how to bring everybody back. Almost like it was like the snap from... Infinity War. Hmm. Um, and Barry Allen is in the Speed Force trying to figure something out. When all of a sudden, he comes across another Barry Allen, Ezra Miller from Justice League. And the internet just explodes of, holy crap, the movies yeah. just crossed over with the TV for the first time ever. and Which is crazy. Yes. So that actually made me curious to go back and watch the scene. I was incredibly frustrated to find out it was a completely throwaway scene of like didn't impact the series at all didn't impact the events at all it was just like a oh here here's Ezra Miller oh there goes Ezra Miller I don't think it impacted the TV universe at all however I think it speaks volumes about the future of the film verse um, oh yeah so Josh did you see the clip I have, yes. I think it's very interesting that the clip makes it, uh, the scene in question 
points out the fact that Ezra Miller's Flash didn't have a name yet. He wasn't called Flash at all in Justice League. So he kind of gets the idea of being called Flash from the TV show Flash, which I could take that or leave it. It's whatever. Um, Yeah. I think to me, this absolutely confirms Ezra Miller is still our Flash. Yay. Yeah, I'm not as excited. It, this, it's very interesting, though. Uh, the reports that I've heard is that the movie studio actually came to the TV people and was just like, hey, can we make the scene work? As opposed to the TV people usually going to the movie people and saying, hey, can we have the rights to use this character? Or are we allowed to use this character? It was the movies that went to the TV which was like, hey, can you put him in? And they're like, sure. Um, but... I think this is super interesting because clearly we still have Ezra Miller for a little bit longer. And I think it kind of gives a little, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I think it gives us a little bit of a hint as to where the direction of the Flash movie will go. We talked uh, the last week or the week before about being a quote unquote different Flashpoint. Um, I think this ties into it somehow, but also... I'm kind of suspecting we may not have seen the last of Ray Fisher's Cyborg. Interesting. Okay. Because, um, I didn't catch it the first time I watched the clip, but um, on a rewatch of the clip, at the very end, right before um, Ezra Miller's Flash disappears, he says something along the lines of, "I told, um, I told Victor it was possible." Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. No. Yeah. I'm down. Uh, uh, that that would be okay. Cool. Let's go. Yeah. Let's roll with it. Why not? I mean, Which, yeah. We're not getting a cyborg movie anytime soon. But if he shows up in a Flash movie, I think that could work. Of maybe like they try since Victor's like the brain of the organization. Maybe they try and figure something out with Flash. Um. I. I'm still not a huge fan of Ezra Miller's Flash, but it is interesting to note that, yeah, it seems like he's definitely sticking around for a little bit. Now, for his movie, please, 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 and maybe if he gets, ins- maybe since he's met Grant Gustin's Flash, he takes some inspirations from him in the suit department, because my number one request in this Flash movie is, for the love that's all that's good in the world, can we please give Flash a new suit? Uh, I'm going to go with a no on that. Sorry, bud. We're stuck in the new 52. Even though the new 52 has been dead for almost four years now. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, I'll am i say they'll give him a new suit, and maybe it's just me, wish fulfillment. Um, I would not be surprised if at the end of the Flash movie, whenever it comes out, he gets the Flash suit out of the Flash ring. Okay. Like I'd the traditional hides the suit in the ring and quick change. Yeah. I mean, but, but wait, I, don't they do that in, like, the early things of the show? No, he got the ring in much later seasons. Okay, okay. But, yeah, it was very interesting to see the movies for the first time doing what Marvel never did, which is cross over the film and TV universe to be one great, huge multiverse. Literally, now, everything is connected somehow. Yeah, that's it's crazy, dude. We never thought that happened, but... Here we go. If DC ever wants to um, unseat Endgame, which will never happen, introduce the multiverse. Yeah, I mean... Because how cool would it be 
to see Michael Keaton's Batman fight alongside Christian Bale's Batman to fight alongside a Batman Beyond versus Darkseid. Oh, man. And see, like, and that's the thing, I think, because if they, with already introducing this, they're like, oh, okay, 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 cool. So we can actually get ahead of on something that Marvel isn't doing because they teased that they pretended to use the the multiple dimensions thing and in uh far was it far from home yeah uh but then didn't so this might be the chance dude yeah very interesting to say the least the rest of the special not great but um at least somebody will be getting a hall of justice sometime soon unfortunately um now switching from one universe to another the universe of star wars the biggest well no duh um news topic in the world of star wars in many many months um but now it seems likely that lucasfilm has approached director taika watiti to direct an upcoming star wars movie to which again this is the biggest no-duh in the world. If you want a safe directorial choice right now for Star Wars to, like, calm the nerves, Taika's probably the best bet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's he's, outside of the fact that he's one of the hottest directors working right now, um, he's incredibly intelligent. I mean, I don't know who else you would have, want to have on your project. Maybe John Favreau, but... The thing is, um, with Taika, people are just like, yeah, he's he's the comedy guy, right? Well, yes, but also he does really good stories. He single-handedly saved Thor from being really, really bland. Um, but also, you got to think, besides maybe John Favreau and Dave Filoni, very few directors know Star Wars better than Taika right now because he directed not one, but two episodes in The Mandalorian Season 1 and two excellent um, episodes at that of tell me you didn't at least feel some emotion at the end of the season one finale with IG-11. No, oh, yeah, dude. He understands Star Wars, but he also understands story. Um, yes, people are just like, well, Star Wars is now going to be an out-and-out comedy. Well, Star Wars has always had a little bit of humor to it. Maybe not to as overtly as Taika Waititi movies, but I feel like he knows how to dial it back, but also he does well with emotion too. Of, uh, I was talking to Heather about this recently. Of, yes, Taika Waititi movies are always really funny, but they always seem like they're surface level funny that are actually hiding some deeper pain. Of, if you look at what's actually happening in Thor Ragnarok, yes, it's one of the funniest Marvel movies, but. Thor's homeworld gets destroyed. He loses an eye. His father dies. There's a lot of tragedy that happens, but the story's so well told and you're enjoying it so much that, yes, you feel a lot of the different emotions, but at the end of the day, it's still an expertly told story. And yeah. Oh, I know I always rave about what we do in The Shadows, one of the funniest comedies I've ever seen, but that also has a sense that the humor's covering up for some really sad themes. Well, even just look at Jojo. Jojo Rabbit is is. Well, a movie I'm hoping about to. It. Yeah, a bit, I mean, even ju- but even just from the trailers, you can tell that this. And I've read reviews and whatnot, but you can tell that while this movie has that Wes Anderson like happy go lucky 
kind of yay, but weird feeling, there's still a lot of really deep stuff going on behind the scenes. Oh, for sure. He's an expert director. And uh, some people are mad because they're just like, I would like to see Taika Waititi at this stage in his career do something more creative or more unique. I'm just like, y'all would be mad either way of if he does a Star Wars movie, how dare he? He should take more creative liberties or somebody else does it. They should have got Taika Waititi. You just can't win with Star Wars fans. Star Wars fans are the worst. They're going to be mad no matter what happens. Um, But think of Star Wars right now as a sports team. For better or for worse, they're in a rebuilding phase. So what you need is a couple safe, trustworthy veterans that don't play for the Houston Astros (laughs) to lead your team to safety. Or the Red Sox. Yeah. (laughs) And um, so I I know Josh will appreciate this. I don't know how many of you will get the reference, but uh, ever since they were busted, the Houston Astros, I just think in the back of my mind, Houston Astros were baby faces. Now that they've been caught accused of cheating, they're the heels that still seem to think that they're the baby faces. Yep. And they're just like, I think- but we didn't do anything, even though we all know that they did. And so that's why it makes them even bigger heels because they still think they're baby faces, like Jason yep. Jordan. I think my, my favorite thing too is like they're getting punished for this, but then also there's a lot of people that have watched baseball for a long time going, this has always been a thing. I don't know. I don't understand. It's because they brought technology into it. Once you bring technology into it, then it's a little too far. Yeah, of course. Okay. Which is also, it's um, a matter of how did no one catch this? But also it, from everything I've heard, it's not so much that they cheated. It's people had a vendetta against the Astros for a while because they always kind of came across as a little too smug of like, well, we never cheat. Well, um, yeah. You did now. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. guess who never cheats? Patrick Stewart. What a man, dude. Just what what a guy. What a well, slow guy. He is an excellent guy. And you know who also thinks that Patrick Stewart is a swell guy? Kevin Feige. He thinks Ooh. he's so swell, in fact, that he apparently had a very, very long conversation with Patrick Stewart. Now, this is very fascinating because Patrick Stewart himself confirmed these discussions. And it's also very interesting to note, Patrick Stewart was once known for over 17, 18 years as the man that played Charles Xavier or Professor X in the Fox X-Men movies. And as we know, Kevin Feige is the head of Marvel. So, hmm, had very, very long discussions that have been confirmed by Patrick Stewart. But Patrick Stewart has openly admitted saying um, he would have been open to the return to the MCU as Charles Xavier had Logan come out. He has openly stated that he, both Hugh, him and Hugh Jackman had such a profound impact um, with Logan that impacted them so personally that they just don't believe that they should come back and their story was ended so perfectly. And I'm not going to lie. I agree with them. But the fact that Kevin Feige met with Patrick Stewart about returning as Professor X in the MCU has got me thinking things, man. I agree. Um, I mean, I don't know who else you'd have him come back, and I almost feel like it'd be weird for him to co come back as anything. Um, anything else besides Professor X? But as also, 
leads me to be interested in okay well then where where are we going now with the marvel universe because that again that was always the question i had when infinity wars came up okay this is over now what yeah it's just like they don't have to rush to introduce the x-men um or even fantastic four kevin feige knows what he's doing and he like paces thing nothing's ever done by accident he will take the time to develop things and develop things right um so i think he knows when he wants to introduce the x-men i've always thought that the x-men will be rebooted wholesale because it just makes sense to start over fresh this at least causes at least a little bit of doubt in my mind that that might not be the case yeah who knows dude it's just maybe just maybe um we don't get a reboot with the classic x-men like patrick stewart or ian mckellen or even hugh jackman as great as that would have been but when the X-Men do finally show up in the MCU, it's the McAvoy, Fastbender era of heroes. Yeah, I, I, that, that is the one thing that I don't want to happen, is them try to bounce around in the timelines to try to make the X-Men movies make sense as well. Yeah, well, the X-Men timeline is already just messed up as all get out. Um, exactly. it's like the most messed up movie timeline in history, except for maybe Friday the 13th. Um, yes. and I, I still think we're getting a reboot of X-Men and it won't be for another four or five years. I, Fantastic Four will definitely come first, but the fact that Kevin Feige had discussions, not just discussions, just like a, Hey, are you interested now, nah, man? Okay. Thanks for your time. But apparently long discussions, Maybe there's something to this. Like maybe Feige really wants them to come back. Here's the thing is I think the thing that gets Patrick is character study. He wants to play good characters. And I don't think he'd come back unless Kevin pitched him a really good idea, a really good story. I could see him coming back. For one movie appearance. Because think about it. He's not going to be around forever. Patrick Stewart right now is 80 years old. And if you're introducing a new Professor X in the MCU, you want somebody that's going to last a little bit longer than that. You want them to be in multiple movies. That's why they cast people at least a little bit younger than 80. Um, Maybe in, in the Multiverse of Madness, we get different multiverses. And in one of them, we get Patrick Stewart's X-Men for a one film appearance. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I would be down with... Uh, the one thing I will say is I, I don't think Hugh Jackman should ever come back. And that's no, not never. because I don't, I don't like think he him. ever will. Yeah, I, it's not at all that I don't like him. I think it, it Logan has been so prominent that he needs to... Very rarely will I ever say something had the perfect ending. Yes. But Hugh Jackman's run as Wolverine had the perfect ending. Oh, totally. Um, It's just... This opens up so many interesting. This is very. This is a very interesting development that I did yes. not see coming. It also just makes me that much more curious about in the multiverse of madness and Wandavision both because there's a lot of potential here. Of what are we playing at here, Feige? Yep. He, he's brewing I mean, something up. He's teeing up a pitch. We just don't know what it's going to be yet. 
Yep. Oh, the Astros absolutely. know I, what the pitch is going to be, but we don't. Oh, absolutely. It would be crazy is if Magneto appears in WandaVision. Oh, would you make it Fastbender? Um, or McKellen? No. No, I wouldn't make it either. Find somebody else. Yeah, that's when you start to introduce them. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, uh, yeah, Magneto shows up and that's when they drop the bomb that she's actually his kid and he like didn't have time for her. So for her and her brother. So he like let this fam random family adopt them. That would be cool. And I still think Dr. Doom is going to be the one that takes over that, um, part of the world that was about to be turned into a meteor in age of Ultron. Yeah. I think that ends up becoming Latvia. Yes. Well, in our last news topic of the day, we got another really, really long overdue sequel, um, to a movie that made me so squeamish, but in all the right ways. Um, I feel like we talked about this movie recently, or at least we gave it in our honorable mentions for our favorite horror movie. So that's the only way I know that Josh has seen this movie. Uh, yes. Don't Breathe, which is an incredibly unnerving but excellent horror movie that apparently is finally getting a sequel from the original writer. Um, we'll be coming back for Don't Breathe 2. So if you don't know, Don't Breathe is the original is the story of these three teenagers that break into a blind guy's house to try and rob from him. I'm going, well, that's horrible. Who would rob from the blind? Well, you might not want to rob from this blind guy because, holy crap, he's a real messed up individual. And to give you more than that would be to give away major details about the story, but he is not what you think. And basically, once they are locked inside this house, it is a struggle to survive and... Oh boy, it was so unnerving. It was a well-done horror movie with a killer twist that I did oh, totally. not see coming. No, not at all. Of what's and, in the basement. Oh, not the basement. Yeah, there I still there's pieces of kitchen equipment that I can't look at the same way again. It, it, mm, mm, no, keep moving on because I don't want to think about it. Um my question is how I forget how it ends. Because I don't think... Because he goes to jail, doesn't he? Uh, no, he does not. Okay. Um, so, or he, he gets arrested, I no. think, at least? Uh, no. He gets, like, the police... So, spoiler alert for those um, who want to see this movie. We'll put up a spoiler warning. Um, the one person that survives, the girl that survives the end of the movie, basically takes a flight to some other place to just get away. And she sees on the news as she's leaving that um, the news was reporting that he was just like, someone broke into my house and tried to kill me. Um, yes. I killed him in self-defense. And that's more or less how he gets away scot-free. Yes. Okay. Because who's going to believe that a blind guy killed a whole bunch of people and had terrible things in his basement? Yes. So then the question becomes... Does he go uh, go chasing them and or the girl and try to hunt her down? I don't think she... he'll come back at all. I think that would be too repetitive. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of interesting ways that this can go. Oh, Maybe absolutely. you bring in some new teenagers or you put him in a different location. So long as you get Stephen Lang back, you 
Yes, that's my only. He has to be in the movie because he made the movie. I've it's been a while since I've been so scared of a movie antagonist. Oh, dude, seriously. Uh, yeah, Don't Breathe is fantastic. Now, this it's like we said earlier, long, long overdue for this sequel, but it's nice to know that it's finally coming. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting that this is coming now and and not like earlier because the movie did fairly well. Yeah, I believe so. It was low budget, so it wouldn't be hard for it to make its money back. It all it was all shot like in one location, so I don't think the cost was that high. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But it was just nice to see that several movies this week are finally making their way out of development hell and finally getting the sequels that they're so longfully deserved. Yep. Oh, man. Well, Josh, you got a sponsor for us this week. Um, let's go. Today's sponsor is DoorDash. When you're too lazy to leave your house, but you also don't want to cook, get use DoorDash. You've definitely used DoorDash before as a sponsor, but. Oh, okay. We'll sing their praises yet again as we want to get on to our most rewatchable movies of all time. Um, I can personally attest to any of the movies that we're going to mention today. Well, except for maybe Josh's list. Uh, Yep. Even looking at Josh's list now, any movie on either of our lists, we have seen at least four or five times. Oh, easily. Easily. So these, these movies may not be our favorites or even the best movies of all time. These are ones that, like, bring us the most joy of, if they're on TV at any point, we immediately sit down and have to watch the rest of the thing, rest of the movie while we're there because it's just... Oh yeah, like it, you can. And I think for me, a lot of the movies on this on these lists, um, it doesn't matter where you pop in. Nope. You're gonna you're just, you're you're here for a good time, no matter what. Yep. So let's start off with the one that inspired this um, this discussion to begin with. It was our main news topic off the top: the first National Treasure. I remember the build up to this movie. Um, seeing the trailers, um, just going, this looks really, really cool. And I was still young enough that, like, as all the trailers are coming out, I had, like, my fingers crossed, fingers crossed, please be PG, please be PG, please be PG. Because if it was PG, <laughs> it means I could see it. Um, yep. And I remember the rating came out, and she's like, yes, that means I can see it. And mom and dad were just like, maybe. We'll, we'll read some reviews and see if we can see it. And so we saw that opening weekend, and we all walked out of going, that was one of the biggest surprise hits we've ever seen. And I remember it took the box office by storm of it crept up on so many people and it blew so many people away. I just remember it was in its marketing campaign. National Treasure yeah. now number one at the box office for the fourth straight week, for the fifth straight week. And it was always that clip where... Um, um, Diane Kruger's characters swinging on the back of the car. Nicholas Cage is trying to yep. catch her, and every single trailer, like saying, "We're still number one at the box office." And I'm just like, "Darn right you are, because you're the best movie playing right now." <laughs> yes, yeah. it's a good old fashioned. I've said it once, and I'll say it a thousand times. People love a good old fashioned treasure hunt movie, and that's exactly what National Treasure is. But it's not just so much the fun clues and the treasure hunt. 
it's the really good memorable characters. People like to crap on Nicolas Cage, but tell me you don't wish you were Benjamin Gates in this movie or had a friend like Riley or wish oh, you dude. could square up against Sean Bean in a movie that he actually survives in. Oh, dude. It's fantastic. And I think the thing that gets me is, like, every time is that while being, like, a treasure hunt, it also feels like a spy movie at the same time, weirdly enough, on, and it, and on certain times. Incredibly well-casted movie, too. Oh, absolutely. You got John Voight in there. There's literally there's so many names in this film. Um, I think the thing that gets me, too, is you're never actually sure that they're actually going to find the treasure until they do. And it's so rewarding at the end of it. Like the clues are gratifying. Everything ties together perfectly. Um, It's just a really good adventure with some really good quips. Like the humor's on point. All right. Who wants to go inside the creepy tunnel inside the tomb of the abandoned church first? Dude, it's it's mm, 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 mm. and like, then when Riley is like, I can't believe that I know something that y'all don't. How is this? Is this what it feels like? I very much like to know that information, Riley. <laughs> Riley, Riley. <laughs> like, it may not be my all-time favorite movie, but I'll put it on record now. I think National Treasure is probably the movie that I've seen more often than any other movie because teacher doesn't want to teach that day. Put it on National Treasure. It's educational. It is, and and honestly, from what I understand, that it, for the most part, it's it's they did their research on it, dude. Yeah, it made me very curious about the Freemasons, and then once I started digging, I'm just like, maybe the Freemasons are things I don't need to know about. Yeah, so I don't get killed in my sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, it's just one of those. Just like I've yet to meet anybody that doesn't like National Treasure. Everyone. It's just like, yeah, okay. That's the whole argument of like, it's the one good Nicolas Cage movie, which that's not true at all. All Nick Cage movies are great. Uh, but it's just like, it's, it's the movie that works for everybody, and I'm just happy that we're getting more. Um, but I, I like a good, like, treasure hunt movie, which is also why The Mummy's on my list, the Brendan Fraser one, not the Tom Cruise one. Oh, um, man, I thought you loved the Tom Cruise one. I, I heard that was your favorite movie of all time. <laughs> Brendan Fraser is a beautiful man, and we'll segue back to the good one before I snap <laughs> into the phone. Because that's one of the major things I was missing from the Tom Cruise one was fun and charm. And yes. the, mummy, the Brendan Fraser one is just oozing fun and charm. Like, they're having so much fun without even trying. That's because that's Brendan Fraser at the top of his career, dude. He's acting his butt off. He's charismatic as all get out. Like, jeez, dude. But the entire cast around him really, really works. You have um, Rachel Weisz's character as a really good supporting uh, female character that actually just really holds her own, doesn't actually really need Brendan Fraser's character, but uses him just as much as he uses her. And also, Mummy is one of the few times that the quote-unquote annoying sidekick doesn't annoy the crap out of me. If Jonathan is the right amount of annoying. Yes. And he actually pulls his weight every once in a while. But also, there's just so many good, like, almost any of these movies on that we're going to talk about today are incredibly quotable. Like, um... There's so many of the movies, 
today, and especially mummy, that you are hard-pressed, in my family at least, to not quote it at least once during the week of, we say it all the time, hey, looks like I got all the horses. Hey, Benny, looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. And I think that's that's one of the things that makes a lot of these movies on these lists sort of rewatchable is that you can't, like, you can quote them all the time. Yes, it's just... Also, honorable mention to Aquaman because it more or less stole most of its inspiration from The Mummy. And I still say that they're very, very similar, more similar than people would like to admit. Um, but I like Aquaman and I like Mummy. I've got a lot of movies on my list, but uh, Josh, how about you knock out some before we get back to my list? What's What's really funny is I think I have more sports movies on my list than you do. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Oh, okay. You know what? Because one of them is The Rookie <laughs> with Dennis the Nucleus. Dude, I genuinely... This is one I, of those I remember like, in college, um, I just randomly said The Nucleus, and my roommate Alex at the time just looks at me and he goes, curse you that I know that reference. <laughs> Because everyone, whether you know it or not, you know the rookie better than you think you do. I I just remember like I, every time I, I it's on. First of all, I didn't know Dennis Quaid was a, like an all star actor before that movie, and really for a while yeah, he has after to that, act I like Randy know. Quaid isn't his brother. I know, like what? Come on, okay. Um, <laughs> it's a it's an e. It feels like Sandlot for for grownups. <laughs> a little bit, except somehow there's less swearing in the adult one. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Which also, honorable mention to Sandlot. I've seen that movie to death. Oh, dude, I know. But um, definitely The Rookie. Um, Maybe, let's go with Remember the Titans, man. I mean, not not in reference to the current playoff situation, but to the, to the film. The Titans are still in the playoffs? Uh, not anymore. <laughs> the uh, um, Chiefs Chiefs destroyed them. <laughs> well, my Broncos were out after week four, so I stopped caring. Yeah, I know. The, the Chiefs do, did that thing that they do where they uh, they Chief? hit a touchdown, and they're like, "No, no, no!" <laughs> they they get they get a touchdown, and everyone's like, "Oh man, can't believe they did that!" And then they get another one, and another one, and another one. <laughs> Well, the Patriots aren't in the Super Bowl. That's all I care about this year. Oh, absolutely. That's what America um, cares about. But no, remember the Titans is easily one of the most quotable, one of the most memorable football movies that at least I've seen. <laughs> now, what else? What else you got, bro? Um, we talked earlier about about J.J. Abrams, and I. While it is not my favorite of his movies, I say it's the most rewatchable, and that is his his first Star Trek movie from 2009. While I like Into Darkness more, I think his first Star Trek is one of the most enjoyable and rewatchable popcorn flicks ever. I mean, that that movie alone reignited my love of the star of uh, Beastie Boys. If there's one complaint that I have about the movie is the dude went way, way overboard on the lens flares. And even he apologized for it, but... He did. He was like, guys, look at this new thing I discovered. Also, speaking of discovered, 
The man discovered Chris Hemsworth, let us not forget. Oh, absolutely. Everyone seems to forget that Chris Hemsworth was uh, Chris Pine's father in the opening scene before he died. Oh, man. And then all of a sudden he was Thor. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, no. The other complaint that I have besides the lens flares is even after three movies, I still hate Zachary Quinto as Spock. Well, yeah, because I don't like Zachary Quinto. Everyone else casted... That movie is cast incredibly well, and none of them try to be copies of their original. Like, Chris Pine is Kirk, but doesn't try to be William Shatner. Um, Yes. Simon Pegg is a great bone, is a great um, Scotty, but my favorite character, of course, is Carl Urban as Bones. The man is the real MVP of that movie. That's because he he literally, like... It's just Judge Dredd, but as a doctor. <laughs> I've just, I'm just paranoid that there's going to be a crack in the hole and our blood boils over. <laughs> Thanks, Bones. Appreciate it. <laughs> just the camaraderie between the cast. Just, you can tell they're having so much fun. And that just, it's, it was the fre- breath of fresh air that Star Trek so desperately needed at the time. And, it's so good. Into the Darkness may still be my favorite of the of those three, but that first one is so incredibly rewatchable. And yeah, we need more Star Trek yeah. movies like that. I really, really enjoy that one a lot. Yes. Um, um, so I'm going to use Star Trek as a segue into segue. the first segue. Yes, um, the first two Marvel Marvel films. Iron Man and Thor. I do love the first Iron Man a lot. I've played that I one to death too. on my iPod Classic in 2009 oh, and geez. 2010 on my way to various basketball and baseball games, which is a very That's, old-fashioned sentence to say. Yes, it is. But like and, uh, the, between Iron Man and Thor, both of them are fantastic. Thor, I think I, I know more quotes from for some reason. <laughs> I would like a horse. <laughs> Or give me some animal large enough to ride. Or yelling another after you finish your drink. That was oh, that gets quoted everywhere. It it's does, wonderful. of course. But both of them are extremely rewatchable. They're easygoing movies, and I mean, it's it. Everyone will will just trash the Thor films, but really, it's it's just Dark World that's bad. I mean, the first Thor is very very easy easy watching. The first Thor did the impossible of made Thor, who is very easily an unaccessible character of he's just a Norse god. There's a lot of ways that movie could have failed. Now, I know some people still don't like it a ton. um, But yeah, I'm with you. I, as time progresses, I think the first Thor actually gets pretty overlooked. And a lot of people talk about Ragnarok or Iron Man. I think the first Thor, Kenneth Branagh, I think, did a really good job with that first Thor movie in introducing a relatively unlikable character and making us care about him. Uh, going into the first Avengers movie, I, Thor was my favorite. I didn't like Cap as much, at the beginning at least. Um, also, yep. Kenneth Branagh was one of the few brave enough directors until Taika Waititi did it in Ragnarok, which I appreciate him for, to put Thor in the winged helmet. We need more of that. Yes. Dang it. Yes. Hey, maybe we'll see something like it in the, uh, in, um, what is it? The, the, Love and the, Thunder. The, the, as, as Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Which, um, 
Iron Man also. Iron Man, the first Iron Man is the only Iron Man movie that I like. And it's the last time that I liked the Iron Man character in the MCU because he's the only time that he actually learned from his, his mistakes and had an actual story arc. But the movie itself is so thoroughly enjoyable. It's such an easy watch. It is. Even if he is, like, Tony is like a total scumbag in the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, it actually piggybacks me into my uh, Marvel movie that I have on my list for most rewatchable, and that's the first Avengers movie. Oh, dude. Endgame may be yeah. my favorite of the Avengers movies, but the first Avengers... I've seen so, so much of whenever it's like Christmas or Thanksgiving and my family needs a movie that we can all put on for a while that we all love and enjoy. Our go-to is the first uh, Avengers movie. And we know it by heart. Um, we've seen it so much. But it, it's just a crowd pleaser. But it ties everything together so well. And I don't think Joss Whedon gets the credit he deserves for the movie. Everyone kind of talks about the cast. And ever since Justice League, I think it's cool to hate on Joss Whedon. But I'm just like, Y'all forget what he did with the Avengers movie. That's all his. Oh, it is all his. It, it, it's a masterstroke. Even the, he gave us the iconic Avengers shot. Yeah, which we thought we'd never be beaten. And we, of course, were never wrong about that. And there was never any Avengers shot that was ever cooler than that first one. Yeah, okay. Whatever you say, assemble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Let's see, man. Where do we go from here? We, I mean, we've got tons of stuff to talk about. Let's uh, talk about some comedies, because I've got a couple oh, comedies. Same. And so do well, you. Uh, oh. You have one on your list that I'm kicking myself that I didn't put on mine, because it is my all-time favorite comedy. And for those of you listening at home, you might already know by now, I mean, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Dude, Robin Hood, Men in, Men in Tights is genuinely, it's like that one, Airplane, and Hot Rod are the three movies I quote the, the most. I can quote all of Men in Tights by heart. I know some people like Spaceballs better or um, Young Frankenstein. Robin Hood, Men in Tights, maybe because I grew up with Robin Hood, maybe that's why that's my favorite, but there's so many just... I always will die laughing every single time at two parts in particular of um, Good Morrow. Uh, hello, Abbott. Good Morrow. Hey, Abbott. <laughs> I like that one. Um, uh, uh, the, the A. Blinken joke gets me every time. <laughs> That followed like directly by like my reflexes are incredible. <laughs> and he misses the arrow. <laughs> or, uh, How'd you do that? I could hear it coming a mile away. Good yes. job, Lincoln. What? Who's talking? <laughs> oh, they've opened a salad bar. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Or, oh, my goodness, Robin. You, you've lost your arms dressed. in the Crusades. <laughs> the it's joke, just, though, that so, I think they So many me. good lines, but also oh, at the dude. same time, it's, a, it's something that I feel like is lost in a lot of parody movies nowadays of... Yes, Men in Tights is still really funny, but it still has a narrative. It's still a story. It doesn't forget you have to have a story first and then tell jokes throughout it. It doesn't have go from scene to scene just for the sake of telling one elaborate joke. The jokes are um, 
the result of the story. And the closer you pay attention to a story, the funnier it gets. The reason why certain comedies work is the more attention to detail that you pay to the original and spoof that, that's why the humor really works. And the dialogue is just great. There's a lot of different styles of humor in Menetice, which is why it works so well for me. Uh, you got your slapstick. You've got your random pop culture references. You've got your breaking the fourth wall jokes of, I lost? I'm not supposed to lose. I get another <laughs> shot. Everyone checks the scripts that are underneath their seats. Oh, yes, yes. He gets another shot. <laughs> oh, man. The, the moving wart... The um, hold on, guys, I've got to pump up, and Dave Chappelle leans down. He's stage, got his Air Jordans. Oh man, it, it gets me every time. <laughs> and again, we talked about him earlier in this episode, but the fact that Patrick Stewart randomly shows up just to be Patrick Stewart at the end. Yes, <laughs> it's. I'm so glad it's on your list. As this airplane, which I don't like as much in Men in Tights, but Airplane is like if a dad movie. If a dad joke became a movie, it would be yes. airplane. Yes. Like, <laughs> literally, I think I quote that movie more than anyone I know. And, but every now and then I'll quote it and like somebody random is like, wait, airplane? Yeah. <laughs> so, unfortunately, the pastor at our church, at least once every two or three weeks in his sermon, he'll accidentally say the word Shirley. So there's one of our friends that we just look across the aisle at him and we make eye contact of just like, we're on the same page here. He needs to not say that or else. Surely there's something you can do. There's nothing I can do. And don't call me Shirley. That's just, that gets quoted so much in my family. That, that one. Like, and um, you, Nothing can be even remotely Shirley related or else bad things happen. Or, uh, I, I, the, the one that gets me is, uh, when the, when the crap hits the fan and they do, they actually do the joke and I'm like, why has no one made this joke ever before? What is going on? Or, um, what do you make of this? I can make it into a little hat. I can make it into a... <laughs> oh, that gets me every time. Or all the running, the running gag of, oh, it was a bad day to quit and fill in the blank. <laughs> Or the one that I love when a movie can break the fourth wall successfully and it doesn't yes. like it, they can acknowledge things, but doesn't completely take you out of it of, um, Hey, you look like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My dad says you're a pretty lazy basketball player. Cause you don't play defense. Well, tell your old man that if you had Will Chamberlain riding you all game, you'd slack off on defense every once in a while too. <laughs> And the fact that they actually get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just makes it that much better. Oh man, he, he's great in the movie too. And the whole that, that whole joke of um, Roger and um, oh, I forget the whole joke, but the, it's in the cockpit, and they're like Roger, Roger. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the the terrible pe- pedophilia joke gets me every time. It shouldn't make me laugh, but it's so funny. Is it the locker room one? No. <laughs> hey, kid. You, you, how do you feel about gladiator movies? Oh, yeah. Which, <laughs> you ever seen a girl in the airplane naked? Where we discover that Leslie Nielsen was funny. Dude. <laughs> I think it was because he was ser- in serious movies. And now from there on out, we know him for comedies like The Naked Gun. I think that started oh, with dude. Airplane. 
it, it's he's oh man that the second one is not as good but they uh, but they definitely take a lot the second one is like a bunch of the running gags from the from the first one but they make it work it, it's i enjoy it so I have two more comedies, and then we can move on to a different category. Uh, two of my all-time favorite comedies. One that's like downright hilarious, and one that's more of just like a I could just put it on in the background because I've seen it so many times, but it just still makes me laugh. Of um, the one that I could put on in the background because I've seen it so many times, but I still get I enjoy the warp sense of humor that the movie is. Is Better Off Dead. For those that oh, have dude. not seen it, it may be one of the most criminally underrated '80s comedies that i've ever seen so it's john cusack josh did you see this with us in college no i didn't but i oh, saw man you're missing um, out on this one um i saw the steve carell one not the same um <laughs> so better off sad. dead is a movie about uh john cusack whose girlfriend just broke up with him at the beginning of the movie so he's trying to kill himself um but there's always these comical ways that things kind of get interrupted. So, like, he's trying to hang himself in the garage, and he's just like, wait, this is pointless. I still have way too much to live for. And so, as he's, like, trying to get himself down from the noose, his mom opens the garage door and, like, knocks him off uh, the ledge so he's actually hanging himself, and she doesn't even notice. Um, And he gets himself out of that somehow. Or um, he drinks a whole bunch of, um, like, lighter fluid or something, um, and just has a, a loose bottle that he's going to drink from. Um, and somebody accidentally lights a cigarette uh, and the, the lady blows up. And so the very next scene is, oh, um, sorry, your mom blew up. But Jeez. by far the best line of the whole movie, and it's a line that you really can't get away with nowadays, but I still die laughing, um, is so he's going to commit suicide by jumping off the bridge into traffic. Uh, and one of his friends comes along and he's just like, hey, man, there's so much worth living for. And he's just like, yeah, you know what? You're right. So he's going to climb back over to the normal side of the bridge. Uh, but his friend pats him on the back. And so he falls off the bridge either way. Thankfully, <laughs> uh, a garbage truck happens to be passing by and catches him. So he catches a ride with, in the back of a garbage truck on his way home. And it's one of those like open ones. So he's just sitting in the ba- in the bed. And there are these two uh, black guys working on, like, the um, electrical wires, like the high wires. And so they see him, and he just waves to him. And as he drives away, he's sitting in the back of the garbage truck. As he drives away, the two black guys look at him and go, It's a shame people be throwing away a perfectly good white boy. Jeez. It is so ridiculously funny. It's one of those ones that my mom saw all the time. So she's just like, you should watch this. And I watch it with her and I was just like, this is my type of rom-com. This is so warped and just so wrong. Uh, and it's just great. Um, also, fun fact, uh, there's a nerdy dorky kid in the movie played by a young actor by the name of Dan Schneider. Does that name ring any bells to you, Josh? It does. I Dan don't know Schneider what would later go on to create Drake and Josh. Oh, and okay, iCarly. Okay. So he was actually in a movie with John Cusack, and it's you could tell where he get got his warped sense of humor. It is is right up your alley. But if Robin Hood Men in Tights is my all time favorite comedy, one of my most rewatchable, then my fall very very close to behind that number two, my favorite comedies, most rewatchable comedies. Steve Carell's Get Smart. Oh, it's so great. 
I'm still pissed to this day that we never got a sequel called Get Smarter. I mean, gonna milk that cash cow, I guess, but... It's been over 10 years, man. It's not happening. I (laughs) love Get Smart so, so much. If there's a movie besides Manatee that I quote, besides Monty Python, it's probably Get Smart. It is so good. We don't staple people's heads. That's CIA crap. (laughs) Isn't um, The Rock's in that movie, isn't he? As a heel. And it makes me happy. Because I always want The Rock to be a bad guy because I don't like him. (laughs) Yeah. He plays against type. But it... It's again one of those ones that it's like it's got the dumb humor, it's got the slapstick humor, but it's also got just some really well timed humor. To me, I know Steve Carell really burst onto the scene with The Office, but to me, two things really brought him in the mainstream: Forty Year Old Virgin and Get Smart. Jeez, and that was like that was like right on the cusp, but where he was starting to move into more serious films, wasn't it? Yeah. Everyone again. We talked about a stacked cast. The cast for Get Smart is stacked. You've got Steve Carell, Anne Hathaway, Alan Arkin, The Rock, um, Patrick Warburton at the end. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna call you Tiny. Uh, it's just I laugh so. Oh, and the Great Kali. Can't forget about the Great Kali. Randomly, out of nowhere. But also, he is ridiculously funny as the Great Kali. Now, as the henchman, basically, as great colleagues. Yes. Look behind you. It's the bad henchman. Age 99, you cannot do that. That is profiling, and I will not have it. He turns around. Oh, that's a bad guy. That's a really bad guy. <laughs> Did you see yes. his head? It looked like the Easter Island head. Stop. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, it still disappoints me to this day that we never got a sequel because... It's one of those, I could put that on whenever. I never get sick of it. Also, it's in the running with Zombieland for best Bill Murray cameo. Oh, yeah. Because who puts Bill, who gets Bill Murray for a movie and then sticks him in a tree for a scene? (laughs) I can't even be surprised at this point. (laughs) It's just, I wanted more, but we never got it. But I still, to this day, will watch it every couple months just because it, it's one of those comedies that I'll never get sick of, and I hope I never do. Because yeah. if I can rewatch a comedy, that's how I know it's funny to me, and it's every single time I laugh at it. Every time. Now, um, one movie that every single time, I don't laugh, but I cry, and it's on both of our lists. Um, yes, especially you didn't is. talk about it earlier when you talked about sports movies. Warrior. Dude. This is not an easy watch, but it's also not a short watch. It's like two hours, 20 minutes. That being said, there's not a single scene in this movie that I can skip. And if it's ever on, well, that's it. My plans are canceled for the rest of the day. I have to finish this movie now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, not only my my favorite sports movie, but it's probably my favorite, one of my favorite dramas, I think. You're welcome. I mean, yeah, I know. Shush. <laughs> I am an I am an apostle of the movie Warrior, and I preach its gospel to all I meet. <laughs> I uh, think it's the, oh you like movies that... see Warrior oh you don't like movies see Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think the scene that still gets me every single time outside of the final scene where he's like, you know, Tommy, you don't have to fight. Is it don't um, crash the ship? Yes. Ugh. And Tommy has to like, he has to realize what he did to, to his father and be like, Oh no. And he oh his no. Father, like his father's a small child. My body wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just, Oh man. But warriors so, so good. And I can never rave about enough to people. It's just one of those that like, like get smart that I have to watch every couple months. Just be like, man, this, this movie is just, it's emotionally draining, but in a very, very satisfying way. And I can never get enough of this movie. Um, let's talk about the other movie that's on both of our lists. Um, this is going to come as no surprise to anybody, but of course, one of the most rewatchable movies for me is one of my favorite movies and the most, one of the most impactful movies in my life because it was my first movie, Toy Aww. Story. Uh, I didn't realize as a kid, but I realized as an adult, the reason why this movie works is this very well may be one of the most stacked productions I've ever seen in a movie. So you have... John Lasseter, pre-scandal, directing this movie. Um, you have Steve Jobs as one of the executive producers. You have this movie written by Joss Whedon, who the name meant nothing to me at the time, but looking at it now, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You've got so much ridiculous voice talent, but also talent behind the camera working on this. But all that would fail if the movie wasn't good. And still to this day, I think it's the best Pixar movie. And I'm willing to fight anybody that says otherwise on that. I mean, I, I would fight it with you. I mean, it's, it's, it's the best. Um, okay, I can't say that. But it's, 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 it introduces you to these characters and then you go on an adventure. Like it's kind of like National, National Treasure. Without strong characters, the, the film would have just been like a CGI mess. Oh yeah, there's so much of it that really just works and it's just, without Toy Story, we wouldn't have a lot of movies that we have today, but it's just, you can put it on the whole thing, but there's one other movie that we'll talk about in a little bit that is every single scene is iconic and rewatchable. The other one is probably Toy Story. Uh, it's just, everything about everything about it is just iconic, it's just so well done. I just, I love it so much. Um, I have quite a few action movies on my list because at the end of the day, action is always good. If it's done right, and sometimes you just need yeah. to rewatch over and over some great action movies. And no one does action better, quote unquote, <laughs> Big question mark. than Michael Bay. When he's doing, when he's actually trying, Michael Bay, I'll give credit where credit's due, Michael Bay can actually do a good movie when he's trying. And to me, my favorite slash the best Michael Bay movie, I know some people don't like it, but I don't care. His best movie still, to me, is Armageddon with Bruce Willis. <laughs> That's not where I thought you were going, but okay. You yeah, think Transformers yeah, or The Rock? Okay, you know what? Transform the first Transformers movie is awesome, and I don't need this kind of attack. No, I like the first Transformers. That's why I was just like, I was. I'm being serious. Did you think I was going to say Transformers of the Rock? His other good movies. Yeah, <laughs> at least one of those. No, I I like Armageddon the best. I think it's primarily that first half of. Here's all your wacky and mostly 
unkosher characters that you're going to be adventuring with. All of these aren't likable, but you like them anyway. And also, Armageddon is the better version of Suicide Squad because you've got a whole bunch of ragtag, um, not necessarily the most wholesome characters, and half of them are going to die anyway. Yeah, it's... I mean, but you got Bruce Willis, so... Who, spoiler alert, dies, but also in the most gut-wrenching scene, too. Yeah, jeez, dude. Like, anybody that says Michael Bay can't get emotion, when he wants to, he can. He just chooses not to a lot of the time. Um, But there's another big 90s action movie that I've seen uh, more than Armageddon, which is saying something because I've seen Armageddon way too much. Um, It is an annual tradition in my house every year to watch this movie on a specific day, as I believe... Every household across America should watch this movie as well on that same day, which, of course, is July 4th. And the movie, Independence Day, the most murica, murica, murica movie that has ever murica'd. It is prime Will Smith, prime uh, Bill Pullman, prime Jeff um, um, Goldblum. It is so fun fact. I, I don't like this movie. <laughs> really? What is it about you don't you don't like? I I don't know. I think it's the overtop weird like late 80s vibe. It's from the 90s, I, dude. Yeah. I I'm aware. I know what I said. Like 95, I think. I I'm again, I'm aware what I said. <laughs> Welcome it, to I, Earth. I, I I just I don't know. It's not my it's not my cup of tea. I watch it at least once a year and it's the one that I there's certain movies that I know by heart Independence Day is the one that my parents know by heart because every single time we watch it my dad's always the one that goes sir I got something on Raider like a split second before the movie says it oh jeez just like oh so that's where I get it from um but this was back when Will Smith was like the peak of his career like this Men in Black before Wild Wild West um before After Earth, before kids, essentially. Jeez, um, oh, dude. <laughs> I, you know my feelings on Karate Kid. He did a good job with that, but some choices he's made with his kids were not the strongest. Um, but Correct. Independence Day, I still agree to disagree. I think it's one of the most rewatchable and enjoyable movies. Um, on the flip side, I do think we're on the same page with the next action movie that, again, like Get Smart... I really, really wish we got a sequel, but I don't think we ever will, which is a shame because it had one of the best cast action comedies I've ever seen. The A-Team. Yeah, boy. Oh, my we'll never gosh. Get a sequel. I saw it's this in theaters late. with my mom because she watched the original series. We both walked out of it going, that was awesome. Um, I still think it's super weird that A-Team, I've counted, has a 20-minute long intro before the opening credits start rolling. With that whole opening Gee. mission. Yeah, and that's that's really like on that's not common. But the cast is so incredibly strong. Everyone is cast perfectly. Liam Neeson as uh Hannibal, Bradley Cooper's face, um oh what's it? Rampage Jackson as BA. But the <laughs> real standout of the movie was the star making performance of Charlotte Copley as Murdoch. You spin me right round, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you ask him to give you a lightning bolt? No. 
or oh, my favorite man. that I will always die laughing at is when he drops the air conditioning unit on um on BA's van. He's like, "You crushed my van, fool! I'm gonna kill you! You can't park there. That's a handicap zone." <laughs> and then I will always stand up and cheer every single time when you find out that Hannibal actually had a plan in that opening scene of just like, um, you're engaged in uh, unauthorized combat. Um, and I will say one more time, you are engaged in unauthorized combat with a U.S. personnel over U.S. airspace. In other words, Alpha, Mike Foxtrot, adios, mother effer, and then they blow him up and just like, that is so gratifying. And oh, then the tempo doesn't really slow down. It's a perfect blend for me of action and comedy. Like, the zingers just fly left and right, but almost all of them land. The characters are so charming. Their um, relationships are just excellent. I so desperately wish we got a sequel, um, but we never will. It also introduced the world to how great of a villain Patrick Wilson would end up being one day. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, I I love A-Team so much. Now, I know we do disagree on this next one, but to me, this is by far my most rewatchable action movie that I've ever seen. Um, one of the most rewatchable movies, period, just because I love it that much. Mission Impossible 4 or Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, a.k.a. the one where Tom Cruise climbs the side of a building. Yep, I. <laughs> what is it about it that doesn't do it for you? I I just don't like any of them. Really, none of them. None of them do it for me, and I don't know what it is. Not even the one where Henry Cavill becomes Two Face before getting a crane to the face what, I, and I being dropped by a helicopter. I don't think I've seen that one actually, because um, that's the most re- recent one, right? Yeah, the most recent one is really good too. Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. But, Spoiler um, alert for what happens to Henry Cavill. <laughs> um, but Tom Cruise has just never convinced me of anything. So Really? Not yeah. even he can't even convince you that he's tall? He can't convince me he's tall. I mean, okay, that's wrong. The only thing he can convince me of is that he can run really fast for long periods of time. And he looks weird doing it. Yes, he does, because he's short. Yes, he is. Um I got a couple more, um, but Josh, I'll let you finish up yours before we finish with mine. Yep. I got mine or like, I mean, obviously Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is going to be on every movie list I make because I think it's one of the best movies ever made, but that's me. I'm actually um, kind of surprised you didn't put How to Train Your Dragon here. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it's said with so much conviction. <laughs> you're you're probably right um <laughs> i think it was weird like this, this list like i actually had trouble thinking of like hmm what movies do i watch a lot so because i have a habit of not like re-watching movies i don't know but uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is going to be on every list that i make because it's literally one of my favorite movies of all time um i'm surprised you've never you're not talking about meet the robinsons at all um, I liked but didn't love that one growing up. Like, I saw it. That's actually Heather's favorite Disney movie. Not, like, one of. I think that's genuinely, like, that's her treasure planet. Fair enough. I mean, I again, I, I think I quote it all of the time. 
you know, big head, small arms. I really oh, don't oh, think oh, yeah. We, we make sure to at least have, we reference that way too much at this household, that the T-Rex part oh, yeah. at least. Oh yeah, totally. Um, I, I just, yeah, I've watched that movie to death. Um, of the home of the through the two home alones that I accept in, in existence. What do you mean? Um, yeah, two? yeah, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know. They, that, they never continued it. There's not a three and four. I don't know what you're talking about. Or a five or a five. Nope. Doesn't exist. Uh, two is my favorite. I actually like, I think I've watched two, the, the lost in New York more times than I have the first one. Well, yeah. Two words, Tim Curry. <laughs> okay yes besides tim curry <laughs> well what else is it, there besides tim curry i mean I, but see the thing is i think it the story is more compelling because i think kevin actually goes through actually actually goes through more than just like oh man this was my lesson on how much i actually love my family although i can't really go back to home alone too now that i've did you ever see that uh john mulaney stand-up skit Yes. Where he's just like, how do you get lost in New York? It's a grid system. <laughs> Where are you trying to go? 11 up and one over. <laughs> Come on. Uh, John Mulaney is a fantastic comedian. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, Home Alone 2 is, I think, one of the, one of the, it's, I've noticed the last, these last four that I have are my kids' movies. Um, but yeah, I've watched that one a lot. And I think you and I would agree that Lego Batman is easily one of the most watch rewatchable Lego movies that there, that there is. Either the original Lego movie or Lego Batman. Both of them are excellent. And both of them, I feel like we went in with massive hesitation on how good it would be. Oh, yeah. I mean, just like alone, the scene of, of Batman riding home with black and yellow playing, it cracks me up every time. Which did you laugh harder at? I'm, I I don't know off the top of my head. I'm just curious to get your thoughts. Which one did you laugh harder at? Lego Batman or Teen Titans Go to the Movies? Probably Teen Titans goes Go to the Movies. Yeah, I think so too, but I think Lego Batman's the better movie. Yes, I would agree with that. But Teen Titans Go at least like hurt my sides from laughing so hard. Oh, dude. It was one of those things that like, I, I don't know if I told you this. I showed Teen Titans Go um, to the movies to Ben. Yeah, and he was just like, really? Yeah, I, at first, yeah. And now it, him, me, him, and Caleb watch it all the time. And we quote it all the time. I think there's two scenes that I remember watching them in theaters that I actually almost fell out of my chair and could feel stomach pains from laughing so hard. Um, one of them was in Lego Batman, when they go, uh, when one of them was in Teen Titans Go to the Movies, when they go back in time to stop superheroes from becoming superheroes, and they use the song from Back to the Future, that made me bust a gut. And the single funniest scene that I, I stand by this single funniest scene I've ever seen in any movie ever. Um, you screwed Captain's daughter in Twenty Two Jump Street. Yes. Oh, good stuff. My gosh, good when I saw that stuff. in theaters, I was gasping for air. Oh, yes. And it's because uh, uh, Channing Tatum is a comedic well that has yet to been to be truly tapped. Also, re-watching it, they have like one of those like old-fashioned oven dings when he gets what happened. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, so I have like two more uh, action adventures and then two more 
old school movies. Um, so I'll go with my action adventure ones. So when I was in college, I had not seen any James Bond movies at all, period. So come 2012, a couple people from our floor went to see the most recent James Bond movie, which ended up being one of my favorite in the entire series and also one of my most rewatched uh, action movies, Skyfall. Oh, man. I thought all the James Bond movies were going to be at the level of Skyfall. I have kind of been disappointed since. I mean, Skyfall to me was, it, it to this day is still one of my favorite James Bond movies. I, I went from Skyfall, I was just like, you know what? I got to go back to the beginning. So I watched Dr. No, which I actually really like that one. That one's really good. Uh, I watched a couple others and then Spectre came out, which is a sequel to Skyfall. And I hate that movie. So bad. Yeah. Um, but that first Skyfall, I go back and watch all the time. Minus the fact that they more or less ripped off Home Alone for the ending. Um, yes. I still have a lot of fun with it. It feels like good old-fashioned action. Um, and so for my other action-slash-adventure movie, I'll admit, uh, Junior High Me thought this was the best movie ever made. And it was, like, my favorite movie for, like, a solid year or two in middle school because... I was a big Sherlock Holmes fan. So when mm. 2009's Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes came out, I was just like, yes, this is the definitive version of Sherlock Holmes that I read so much about. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes is actually a fighter, which actually he is in the books too. Um, I loved Sherlock Holmes. I don't love it as much now as I did back then just because I was in love with that movie. But... I still find it so incredibly rewatchable and the chemistry between Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law is so on point and I just thoroughly enjoy that first one. The second one I don't think is nearly as good but we've really been missing out on that Sherlock Holmes 3. Where is it? Because I so enjoy that first one and I will just watch it over and over again. It's been Wait. it's been a while since I've seen it but I really need to go back and watch it. I just so Have enjoy you- that first one. No, they just released it. Did you not go see Doolittle? Uh, judging by the box office, no one saw Doolittle. <laughs> so, I mean, if nothing yeah, else, that was, we can get Sherlock the rest of the year Holmes wrong, Lear. but we will at least get one of our flops right. <laughs> yes. Um, we're we're going to get a lot wrong this year, honestly, especially because I think, I think I said that Bad Boys was going to flop. Oh, yeah, so did I. <laughs> but... I'm happy when a movie doesn't flop. Unless it's Doolittle, that movie can go flop anywhere it wants to. Like a dragon with something up his butt that Dr. Doolittle has to remove. Wait, are you serious? Yes, that's something that actually happens. The he, Dr. Doolittle has to remove something from a dragon's butt. So anyway, uh, let's move on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Josh, did you see the original Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes? Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. I was like, oh, cool. Like, uh, like, yay, a Sherlock Holmes movie. And then he clapped those that guy's ears. And I was like, oh. Yes. Before I got played to death in every other medium, that slow-mo, this is how I'm going to beat you method. Yes, it did. But it works very well. Yes. Uh, So for my last two, I got two old school. One relatively old school and one very old school. So for my relatively old school, I've got the original... Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. This one is just wholesome with a side of dark. 
uh, I remember watching this to death as a kid because I had a used copy of the book that only got more used as I got older because that was a book that I read tirelessly. I love and adore the original Raw Dahl book. So I watched the movie endlessly. As I get older, I like it even more because I pick up on... It's going to sound horrible, but Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, at least for the movie, the movie kind of hates the world and it has a very oh, yeah. cynical edge to it. It's, yeah, basically. It's very <laughs> I mean, cynical, but that kind of makes it that much more entertaining or things that you don't really get as a kid just get so much better as an adult. Um, it's... Also, how can you not appreciate Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka? The man was just perfect because Gene Wilder was always just a little bit insane. Um, but Nathan... How can you say that he's a good Willy Wonka when we have a Willy Wonka like Johnny Depp? Okay, in both of their defense, <laughs> neither of them are book accurate. I'll say that Correct. much. Yeah. Because if we want to be that uh, idiot and be, it has to follow the book, then Willy Wonka should come up no higher than Charlie's hip. Yeah. Because Willy Wonka is Charlie. supposed to be a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in his chocolate tree for Charlie was who he wanted to see. Oh, stop. <laughs> that that got off the rails quick. Um, How did you... Okay, whatever. Yes, I was ready to go with that. Um, but last but not least is one that I watched a lot as a kid, and then ultimately as I got older, also developed an emotional attachment to because I was in a play version of the same film, Wizard of Oz. Uh, I think, maybe I'm generalizing here, but I feel like every kid that grew up watching movies grew up watching Wizard of Oz because it's a public domain movie, so every channel could play it whenever they want. Yep. So basically, it's just like a, huh. We need, we've got this random two-hour slot. Well, ABC Family's too busy playing Harry Potter again. We'll play Wizard of Oz. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, Wizard of Oz has lasted for so long, at least in my eyes, because it's so straightforward. But it doesn't try and overcomplicate things. It's just good for goodness sake. So you better watch out. You better not cry. Because the wizard's coming to town. I'm making all kinds of weird musical reference today. It's yeah, been a long yeah. episode, I don't guys. Know what you're doing, um, <laughs> but the Wizard of Oz will always. It's one of those just like it's, it's the chicken soup of movies. It's comfort food for movies, basically. If you know what you expect, whether you realize it or not, everyone that watches movies probably knows the Wizard of Oz by heart, whether they realize it or not. It's just that iconic. I uh you hate uh, it, don't you? I've never really like I don't hate it. I just don't mind it. Like it doesn't it exists and I know it does, and uh that's cool. I'm gonna leave it at that. Well, I feel like we did miss one that I believe was in your notes and I completely forgot because I it's just everywhere. Uh we talked earlier about the Toy Story was a movie that every single scene is iconic, but there's only one other movie that I can ever confidently say that every single scene in it is iconic. And that's a new hope. Oh, yeah. That is to me. Oh, it's Christmas. Better put on Star Wars. Thanksgiving, Star Wars. 
ABC Family's hosting Harry Potter weekend. Star Wars. A New Hope it's, is that classic, straightforward rewatch. It's what you look for in a rewatchable movie. It really is. I mean, it's a simple story, and you can pop in any, at any time. And it's it's just what you're looking for in a good movie. And it's hard to hate on. Um, it's hard to hate on a New Hope. I just. It's not my favorite of the... Actually, no, it is. It is my favorite of the Star Wars movies. I had to think about it for a second. It is my favorite. Even more so than Empire, even more so than Force Awakens, anything else. I New Hope is my favorite. And maybe that's part of the rewatchability factor. Of It's just... It's that comfort food. You know every line by heart, but it still is great every single time you watch it. Never changing, but you never want... It. Well, always changing, but that's half the fun. McClunky forever. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> Any other last-minute ones, Josh? Are you ready to take it home? Let's take it home, my man. It's been a long one, but a good one at that. Uh, what are some of your most rewatchable movies out there? Guys, we love hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on the main YouTube channel at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.